Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Turning the Goldfields Green. Today we're going to talk about the coronavirus and its impacts on the environment in various ways. And we're also going to head over to Hepburn, just outside of Dalesford, where Hepburn Wind is and their two gorgeous wind turbines. And late last month, on the 29th of February, a group of more than 100 people gathered to make a human sign to try and communicate the idea that we need to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees in temperature rise. And my acknowledgement of country today comes from that day. One of the speakers there gave an acknowledgement of country. And as Hepburn is still Jajawarung land, I thought I might just use theirs. This is Lee Eubank from Friends of the Earth. Before we begin today's human sign, I'd just like to acknowledge the Jajawarung people as the traditional custodians of this land. This is unceded land, it's stolen land and we pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Salt, salt, salt of the earth. Salt, salt, salt. Grassroots, 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 salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. Okay, so coronavirus or COVID-19 is, as we all know, something that is of great concern to everyone really around the world. It's sneaking into almost every corner of the globe. Every country seems to be becoming infected with it. And it's especially dangerous for people with health conditions or immune compromised conditions and the elderly. So it is of great concern and people are very worried about it with reason. I thought it would be interesting to explore some of the ways that this virus is impacting global emissions, pollution, waste, and how we can reduce our waste even while taking care of ourselves Here in Australia, at least, initially it was foreign news. It was what was happening overseas and we were worried about what was happening in China but didn't really think too much about it in terms of our local environment until everyone started buying toilet paper all at once and suddenly no one could get toilet paper. So what began as a crazy kind of fake emergency turned actually into a real emergency because some people had bought an awful lot of toilet paper which suddenly meant that other people who weren't panic buying were suddenly feeling a bit panicked about how much toilet paper they had. So I'm going to look at the toilet paper issue a little more a little further in the episode but for right now I'd like to talk about how it's affecting greenhouse gas emissions and carbon emissions because China is the world's largest carbon emitter. I have read a Scientific American article called How the Coronavirus Pandemic is Affecting CO2 Emissions. And I will put a link to this article and all of the other articles that I mention in this episode in the podcast description so that you can read them yourselves. So this Scientific American article describes China as the world's largest carbon emitter. People are saying that 
emissions have dropped by about 25% over the last month, which is pretty huge. And that adds up to gigatons of carbon emissions. And it's all because of forced quarantine and no more travel and people aren't going to work. And so a lot of industries have closed down, which is also of great concern to the rest of the world and all of our industries, which rely on Chinese production. And of course, now we're seeing the same thing happening globally. Aeroplane companies are reporting an up to a 90% drop in flights and sales and transport across the globe is slowing down. Industries across the globe are slowing down and businesses are starting to take very serious measures to get their workers to work remotely if possible. And if not possible, to follow really good hygiene. But it's going to have huge impacts right across the world in terms of emissions, but also in terms of human well-being and not just because of the virus itself, but because of the poverty that is going to happen because people aren't allowed to go to work or are too sick to work and the impacts of that. So there's a really, it's a really complicated, difficult situation. It's interesting how the world can galvanise itself and take these extreme measures when the threat is immediate and you can see in front of your eyes people are dying. But we've been calling for people to take not necessarily this drastic action, even a quarter or a half of what people are doing now in terms of reducing emissions. If we could do that for the sake of climate change, we would be doing the world a huge favour and saving lives in the long term. But the difference is that climate change is, we're not going to feel it for another 20 or 30 years. We're already kind of feeling it, but the really severe aspects of it, we may not feel for another 10, 20, 30 years. And so it doesn't seem as urgent as this virus, which is now sweeping the world. As much as it seems like good news that, you know, we have reduced our carbon emissions, compared to an annual total for China, it's only about a 1% difference. And there is speculation that the Chinese government will offer economic stimulus plans and this will just sort of neutralise any gain that we've had. There's a guy called Jerno Wagner, a clinical associate professor at New York University's Department of Environmental Studies. I got this from an article called Climate Advocates Hit Political Turbulence and he just makes the very valid point that Emissions in China are down because the economy has ground to a halt. It's stopped and people are dying and because poor people are not able to get medicine and food. And this is not an analogy for how we want to decrease emissions for climate change. The other factor is, of course, that it seems like there's been a lot of traction recently. Um, there's been a lot of activation in the public and people are trying to get climate change on the agenda politically globally, locally, at every level, and it's been gaining traction, it, it seems. But with this virus, it's actually distracting all of the governments from what they might have been starting to take seriously or look at in depth in terms of climate change and how to resolve it. Uh, but now all they can do is work on the coronavirus and how that is impacting the populations of their countries 
One factor that is interesting, though, that is sort of overlooked when we're looking at the balance of things in terms of how worried people are about the coronavirus and what it's, you know, the death rate and the risk to the population and how everyone's taking that so seriously. There is an article from Forbes and it's describing how many people die per day due to air pollution from fossil fuels. So this is not the risk of climate change as such, but you know, the same emissions that we're so worried about creating climate change are actually already killing people simply because they're toxic and it's pollution. So they estimate, and it can only be an estimation because often things are more complicated than, oh, that person definitely died of pollution. It's more like that person had a massive asthma attack and it's probably because of the pollution they're living in. But they estimate that it's about 10,000 deaths a day, every day, based on pollution and long-term exposure to pollution. And this is the sort of extreme pollution you get in major cities. And I did hear an anecdotal story of someone living in China in a city where they're in forced quarantine lockdown and feeling a bit depressed about it all. But actually, they went out into their courtyard and they could see a blue sky for the first time in they couldn't even remember how long. Other impacts that are happening because of the coronavirus in the environment are things like the face masks that people have been wearing a lot are starting to wash up on beaches. So it's becoming pollution. And another thing that is happening, which cannot be good for the environment, is that China was spraying their streets to try and disinfect them with things like bleach, which is absolutely terrible for the environment. Closer to home, one thing that really struck me was some articles I've seen about what actually is effective in terms of personal hygiene to protect yourself from getting this virus. And, you know, the general advice is, you know, don't touch your face, wash your hands a lot. And I was wondering why wash your hands a lot was such a thing, because often with colds and flus and other sort of respiratory illnesses, it seems to be airborne. But what we've learnt about this particular virus, the coronavirus, is that actually soap, like a bar of soap, is more useful than your disinfectants and your alcohol rubs and all of that sort of stuff. So soap works really well because the virus is, and I'm quoting here, a Guardian article. The virus is a self-assembled nanoparticle in which the weakest link is the lipid or the fatty bilayer. And soap dissolves the fat membrane and the virus basically just falls apart and becomes inactive. So it's basically dead. And what you can do with a bar of soap, of course, is wash the bar of soap and the soap itself gets clean as you're cleaning your hands. So the soap's not dirty, obviously. But the alcohol-based products always pretty much come in a plastic container. So the more of them you buy, the more plastic waste you've got. And a bar of soap doesn't have to come in any kind of plastic container. You can get bars of soap either without wrapping at all. There's a place in Castlemaine called Drummond Body Care, and it's basically just full of bars of soap, and none of them are wrapped, or maybe some of them are wrapped, but most of them are not wrapped. And if you just go to the supermarket, you can find bars of soap wrapped in paper, which can be recycled. So you can get waste-free product, which is more effective than what everyone seems to be 
selling out of, like all the shops have sold out of the alcohol-based hand sanitizer, which just evaporates off your skin. This Guardian article suggests that soap is better because you only need a fairly small amount of soapy water. And if you wash your hands and rub them and cover your entire hand quite easily with soap and wash it off and spend 20 seconds doing that, you literally kill the virus and get rid of it. Whereas the wipes or the alcohol rubs don't necessarily get every little corner of your hand and may not as effectively kill the virus or, you know, dismantle the virus because it's not actually alive. What they're suggesting is use soap when possible and maybe carry an alcohol-based sanitizer when you're out and about in case soap and water is not practical. The other thing that everyone is recommending is that you know, you use tissues and you throw them out into a bin with a closed lid. And I saw this wonderful Italian promotion for health, which was an Italian nonna who was giving health advice about the coronavirus. And she was quite upset that she couldn't keep her hanky in her sleeve anymore because she's spent her whole life carrying a hanky in her sleeve. And I've only just recently transitioned from my single-use tissue lifestyle to a reusable cloth hanky for my nose and I actually really love using hankies now instead of tissues. It's amazing how many times you can use them and they just dry out and you can use them again. So I highly advocate for not using tissues generally. In this period of time with the coronavirus you might need to go back to single-use tissues or if you're going to use a hanky don't keep it up your sleeve or anywhere where you might touch it and then touch other stuff. So keep it in a pocket perhaps and then use it and repocket it and then wash your hands. Because what's going on with this virus is that we don't want to infect everyone else. The danger is not necessarily to you, it's to the person who picks it up's grandmother. It's two or three steps further along where someone might actually get hurt. And there are a lot of people who are ill in lots of ways who might have a compromised immune system. And so we don't want any of them to get this virus or to get sick. We need to take care of each other and we really don't want our healthcare system to be overloaded and for people to have to make the awful kinds of decisions that people are having to make in Italy. And Italy has an excellent healthcare system, but because everyone got the virus all at once, they haven't been able to cope with the numbers of people coming in needing intensive care. Okay, so toilet paper. Let's talk about toilet paper. There's been any number of hilarious memes and jokes going around about the toilet paper crisis of 2020. I have myself enjoyed quite a lot of them. When it all started, I had four rolls of toilet paper and I thought, you know, this will die down within a week. Four rolls will last me. But then it didn't die down and the people who had not hoarded were suddenly needing to buy toilet paper and there was none. And so everyone was on the hunt for toilet paper. We still have supermarket shelves that are empty of toilet paper, paper towels, tissues, and hand sanitizers. So (laughs) toilet paper is an issue. It's interesting because I think in the West, we're so used to having a very convenient roll of paper that we rip off a few sheets, use it once, flush it down the toilet, and it's gone. But there are a growing number of people who are starting to use reusable cloths for their 
toilet needs. So a friend of mine actually has a baby and she's using reusable nappies. And because she's already doing loads of washing with nappies, she's decided to use little bits of cloth for herself as well. And I think she's just using it for wee. She's not using it for number twos. But I do know that a lot of people use it for number twos as well. And some people, their whole family has a system of, you know, they all have a basket of nice cloths that they can use and then put in a bag and then wash every day. And, you know, it's just a way of doing things without using your single use paper product that often is not recycled paper and it's often bleached and processed and what have you. So criticisms of this system of reusing cloths for toilet paper are that it uses a lot more water, perhaps, because you're washing things over and over again. And also, if you're using recycled paper, toilet paper, which I personally do, it's actually a good use for recycled paper and uses less resources than constantly washing these cloths at a temperature that is sufficient to kill any bacteria. So there's, there's pros and cons, I guess, but it's an interesting thing to think about, I think, and some people might be okay with it and some people may not. But I think it's cool to know that people are giving a shot and that there are alternatives to these single-use items which are really quite wasteful. And then, of course, the other solution is the bidet, as the French call it, and this is a toilet which actually squirts water at you and cleans you off by squirting you. But the other thing I found out, and there's this awesome comedian from the Philippines, he's got this great YouTube channel full of him singing songs about life in the Philippines. What they use over there, and it's really common, is a little plastic bowl with a handle on it that almost looks like a saucepan, and you fill it up with water before you go into the toilet, and then you use it and your hand to wash your rear end. And you use soap and then you rinse it and then you wash your hands really well. <laughs> and this is a really common solution in the Philippines. And I think, again, it's extra water being used, I guess. But the production of toilet paper and recycling paper and making paper in the first place is very water intensive. So I don't know, maybe it evens out. In central Victoria, here where we are, it's really dry. You know, water is an issue for us. So weighing that up might be something you need to think about. But generally, we use a flushing toilet, which uses, you know, water all the time. We don't really worry about that. So I think a little bit of extra water, if you wanted to go into the world of the Filipino method of the tabo, they call it, might be another solution. You do need to be really careful to wash your hands afterwards if you've used your hands to wash yourself. But they reckon it makes you cleaner and it's much more comfortable. So... There you go. Splash. Be a man. Be a man. Use your hand. Use your hand. Use your hand. If you ever come to Filipinas, this will be your bestest friend in life. I had to do a number two, so I went into the restroom, but there was no toilet paper on my. Soapy hands, soapy butt, soap it all. Splash. I use tabo 
splash. I use the ball, I use the ball, I use the ball. Fill your tabo up before entering the stall. Splash. I use the ball, splash. I use the ball, I use the ball, I use the ball. Sit in Manila yeah. after moving to Pilipinas. Uh-huh. So when my business is brightening, I use papaya soap for whitening. Yeah. I use it for brushing my teeth. Mm-hmm. I use it when I am reading. Mm-hmm. I use it for plant watering. Woo! I use it for CR cleaning. Whoa. Filipinos love when we clean. Build the tabo up in the sink. No toilet paper, that's a better thing. This tabo water is gonna help you clean the Soapy hands, soapy butt, soapy tall. Splash. I use the ball. Splash. I use the ball. I use the ball. I use the ball. Fill your tabo up before entering the stall. Splash. I use the ball. Splash. I use the ball. I use the ball. I use the ball. I love my tabo. Some toilet paper, I just use open water to wash my dirty bottom. I smell like candy cotton, cause I am a Filipino. I am a Talino. I have many tabos, tabos. Look at this dry roll. I can clean up with that. When I do number two, I need two rolls of that. Too much, how clean I'd be? It's open all of that. What will I use this for? Do I look like a cat? Been living in Manila six years now, I know how. To use tabo in the CR, let me show you now. Grab your tabo and don't forget your favorite soap. Wash your bottom well, now you're a Filipino. So that was Mikey Bustos, a Filipino comedian who has done multiple songs that are worth watching on YouTube. He's done a Queen parody and a Lady Gaga parody. And this one is a parody of the song Swala by Jason Derulo. And it's all about how to use the tabo, a bowl that you fill with water and you use a bar of soap to clean your butt after going to the toilet. Early on Saturday the 29th of February, we drove half an hour to our neighbouring town, Dalesford, and then a little further to Gusto and Gale, the two community-owned wind turbines at Hepburn Wind Farm. Hepburn Wind is a multi-award winning enterprise and Australia's first community-owned wind farm. 
In a future episode, I will meet up with Taryn Lane, who works there, for an in-depth discussion about Hepburn Wind, its history and activities. On this Saturday morning, however, we and over a hundred other people arrived before 9am and stood under the mighty structures and the serenely rotating blades of the turbines. They were absolutely silent and turning steadily, though it didn't seem particularly windy. Hepburn Wind had organised a coffee cart ready for us and a well-organised parking system. Before it all began, I wandered through the crowd and asked people why they were there and what they thought making a human sign would achieve. Sonia Schroeder is my name. I'm part of XR and Dalesford and it's about bringing awareness um, to the real issues of climate change. That's number one. Number two, the awareness of the potential that you know, we have as a society here in Australia to really create that change and be a world leader in energy generation, clean, green, renewable energy generation. And um, I'm putting a plug in here for Mr. Ross Garneau and his book called Superpower, okay. Australia's Path to a Net Zero um, Future. Yeah. It's all outlaid in that book. Great. And uh, basically, I know that the government has a sort of plan there that they could enact, they could generate the uh, legislation around that to um, basically create the prosperity in a new clean green future based on renewable resources, based on resources generally that we have here. Um, For example, making metals out of ore using hydrogen. (laughs) is a green way of doing that Um, and there's a massive uh, potential here in every which way solar wind wave geothermal hydro we don't need nuclear Uh, we certainly don't need fossil fuels that's our undoing so what do you think uh, creating a human sign what does that achieve what do you what do you think will happen right Um, i understand a drone will be taking images of us making a uh, less than 1.5 degrees Celsius sign um, because we need to keep our um, emissions low enough to make sure that the temperature doesn't reach above that. Again, it's about awareness. And in this case here, we're supporting the Shire. They've declared a climate emergency, Hepburn Shire has. We just hope they have the budget, uh, the money in the budget allocated for in June, July when they do their um, council plan to enact concepts around that that support the society here in Hepburn Shire. That's what I'm hoping will, will, will happen. We are just here for a student project and the purpose is to try to sensitise uh, people in Europe about what's going on in Australia and what the association are doing about it and just to understand what, what the bushfires, the government what they are doing about it and uh, so what have you found out so far uh, that the government is not doing a lot and that community is doing a lot and so I think it's the most, it's the most important you know but I think everybody's got to do something every government so maybe try to to put the good person on the good places you know for the government and that's all my name's Alex and I'm here because I'm a greedy and because I believe that we should be creating a better future I think it's up to us in this slightly older generation to uh, lead the way and help create a better world for the people of tomorrow and the young ones growing up today. I think it would look good and I think it's really a good way to um, promote wind turbines and just how 
surprisingly unobtrusive they are. Like at this exact moment, we are standing behind a functioning wind turbine. We're not even raising our voices. We can't even hear it. They are quiet. They are. They don't disturb people. Yeah, so big fan of wind. Big fan. Okay, thank you. Great to see so many people here today. It's great to see uh, such a really good reaction to a local initiative. What do we want? Climate action. When do we want it? Now. What do we want? Climate action. When do we want it? Now. Thanks so much, everyone, for showing up today. So I'm Taryn Lane from Hepburn Wind, and. You know, from a Hepburn Wind perspective, the reason why we're doing this today is because we've uh, got a strong collaboration with the sustainability groups across our Shire and our council to have a mandate for zero net emissions by 2030 and zero net energy across the Shire by 2025. And to do that, we have to stay within the IPCC recommended 10 years to stick within 1.5 degrees. And this is also, you know, currently up in the political discourse because the, the state government is deciding on what's called the emission reduction targets. So this is a moment in time for us to, you know, show our community's desire for strong ambition. Um, and I'm going to hand over to my friends from Friends of the Earth, so Lee Eubank and John Knox. And these guys are going to explain to you a bit about the why from Lee. And John Knox is the king of the human sign and he will be organising you all into various shapes. So um, please have patience. It might take about 30 to 40 minutes for all of the filming and everything to happen. But yeah, we'll, we'll get it going pretty soon. Thanks so much, Taryn. So just quickly, I'd just like to see a, a show of hands for the camera right here. Hands up if you're doing everything you can do to tackle the climate crisis. And keep your hands up if you think the federal government is doing everything they can do. There we go. Good to know it's a friendly audience. So the reason why we're here today is that in Victoria, we're actually, we're a lot better off than the federal government. We've got a pretty good story to tell. So thanks to these amazing grassroots campaigns for a permanent ban on fracking, for a moratorium on gas, for a Victorian renewable energy target. And thanks to the amazing community effort up here that has built your own bloody wind farm. Victoria, that's incredible. Victoria is on track to see an emissions cut of 20% by the end of this year. So we are actually nailing it compared to the feds. And today marks one month before Premier Dan Andrews and the Victorian Cabinet make a decision about the level of ambition that we take to climate action over the next 10 years. So by the 31st of March, Premier Dan needs to make a call about how ambitious we're going to be for the years 2025 and 2030. And we're going to be sending a very clear message to Premier Dan Andrews today that whatever targets are set, they need to be based on the science and they need to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees. If we move beyond that threshold, we are staring at, at climate catastrophe and it does not bear thinking about the consequences that we will face. So thank you so much for coming out today. We're already on the Premier's radar and this is going to take it to the next level. Um, thank you. And just to talk you through the human sign and how we're going to approach it. 
I would like to introduce one of the biggest legends of the climate movement. He hates it when I do this, but this guy, John Knox, he's been in the game for many more years than I have. He's cycled 8,500 kilometres around the country giving energy efficiency presentations to communities like you. Um, he's a bloody legend. He's done it before. So, everyone, let's give John Knox a warm round of applause. Thanks. Thanks, everybody, for turning up. Um, the easiest way that I know of to do this, and it can be awkward, uh, if everybody could just move on to the green grass just, uh, just down... Um, down here in and line yourselves up in rows of 10 people. We'll then get people out and we'll, uh, we'll allocate you to a wrangler. Well, the wranglers are going to be in the high-vis vests here and they'll have a sign like this. A little bit further across, a little bit further across. Which way? This way? That, yep, yeah, that's good, that's good. Yeah. And you're in here. Okay. I'll pick him up when it comes to time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now the five people, if we can move. Five people, your attention please. After receiving our instructions, we stood around for a while and got wrangled into position and stood around again. The drone zoomed up to us, hovering far above and drifting away at various times. We were finally all in position and the drone did its thing and then it was all over. They were even three minutes early. I managed to catch John Knox, the so-called king of the human sign, after it was all done and asked him a little bit about what it is that he does. I'm done. <laughs> I can relax. <laughs> Okay, my name is John Knox um, and I'm a volunteer with Friends of the Earth Act on Climate Collective. This is a, one of the actions that uh, Act on Climate is uh, doing prior to the, the Victorian government setting the emissions reduction targets for 2025 and 2030. Uh, in order to keep below 1.5 degrees C, we need the uh, Victorian government to set bold and ambitious targets. So the purpose of this human sign is to send them a message that the community wants them to keep below 1.5 degrees C of, of heating. Hepburn Wind uh, has a relationship with Friends of the Earth through several community members in the area and we wanted to actually show the Andrews government that this target has got support in both the country and the city. So we, a couple of weeks ago we did the city sign and now we're doing a country sign. And so the, the Hepburn seemed to be a right place to do it. It's, it's always a challenge wrangling people, but it's actually a lot easier because people want to be wrangled. It worked well. Yeah, we, we just all, all cooperated. And this is, this is what we're wanting the Victorian government to do, is cooperate with the community. The drones were organised by the Friends of the Earth. We've actually paid for a drone pilot to come up from Melbourne which is he's the same drone pilot that we had down at Clayton, uh, down at the Monash University site. So he, he was actually aware of what we're doing, so that actually makes it a bit easier as well. We're comfortable with him as well. I've been involved with doing two human signs before this. I've been in a number of other human signs, but basically it's just a case of doing mud maps 
and organising people so that you're in the right places. It's really not that difficult, it takes a little bit of work, but as I say, people want to be wrangled, so that makes it easy. Yeah, in 2008, at the age of 52, I went back to school to study renewable energy because I wanted to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. In 2010, I cycled 8,500 kilometres around Australia giving talks on energy efficiency because that's still the quickest way we can reduce our, our carbon footprint, individual carbon footprint. Well, I, I went through central Victoria, up through Shepparton, down through Beechworth, across the border at Albury, went up to Wagga, uh, then into Canberra, went up to Goulburn, the coast at Wollongong, went right up the coast as far as Rockhampton. Uh, from Rockhampton I got on buses because the distances were greater than I could, between towns was greater than I could cycle in a day. My two biggest days, I did 167 k's, towing a, towing a trailer by myself. No, it was just a push bike, a standard push bike, towing a trailer, just me, no support vehicle because that would, would go against the cycling because cycling is the most efficient way of getting around. So I caught buses from Rockhampton to Townsville, Townsville to Darwin, Darwin to Broome, Broome to Geraldton. Started on the bike again from Geraldton, rode down the coast from Geraldton. The winds from Geraldton all the way down the coast are against you. It was horrid. The, the trees grow up a metre and then head north. <laughs> so you, you got trees that look like that. <laughs> Rode down to Albany, caught a bus back to Perth, and then caught a train across the Nullarbor to Port Augusta, then rode back through the Coorong to Melbourne. And then in February, I did two weeks in Tasmania. Uh, but the distances in Tasmania are about one and a half to two what you'd expect in the rest of Australia because of the hells. <laughs> but I hit my top speed also coming down Bust Me Gaul which is outside Hobart. Yeah. There's a hill called Bust Me Gaul, which coming from Hobart would bust your gall. If you're going up it. Yeah, and I came, came up, break me neck, <laughs> <laughs> which was a really slow, <laughs> slow broken neck for me. Yeah. But uh, going down Bust Me Gaul, I hit 80 kilometers an hour, and I wasn't hitting my brakes for anybody <laughs> because I didn't want to see the trailer come past me. <laughs> Generally, I was speaking to the converted, but my, my presentations, two hours, I'd ride for five days out of seven. My presentations were two hours. I had nine slides, of which one was an introduction and one was a thank you, and the rest of it was just pure, pure talking and to and froing with the audience. My asks were to, for people to pick three things that they hadn't done already for energy efficiency then I asked them to get three friends to do likewise and then when the people had achieved those three things to come back and do another three so that even though I was preaching to the converted I was asking asking it to be spread out it's an amazing trip since coming back from that ride around Australia, I got involved with the divestment campaign that 350.org organised. And after that, I've been involved with Friends of the Earth Act on Climate team. And we're doing some amazing stuff with Act on Climate. We're actually doing a 100 laps for the climate around, we're cycling with trailers with signs on it, uh, cycling around Parliament House. 
Um, that's happening on the 17th of March. Um, we're all, we've also got a week of action starting the 17th of March, and that's uh, that's in the final two weeks. Uh, the the decision that the that has to be made by legislation has to be made by the 31st of March. So we're actually trying to get on the radar. Uh, we've actually been having uh, meetings with local MPs as well for the past oh, probably three or four months. So it's been ongoing, and we're we're getting on the radar of the the Victorian government. So there you go. That was John Knox, the human wrangler and king of the human sign at Hepburn Wind earlier this month. And as he mentioned, it is a key period of time to contact our state government and let them know how important it is to set targets that will help achieve less than 1.5 degrees of global warming. So don't be shy. You can contact your MP and your state premier if you so desire. And I know they've got a lot of other things on their mind with the emerging health crisis and trying to manage that. But it's also really important to acknowledge that a longer term, slower burning health crisis for all of us is climate change. Salt, salt, salt of the earth. Salt, 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 grassroots, 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 salt of the earth people, grassroots change, salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. My name is Alison Hanley and I have been your host today. I hope you've enjoyed the episode. If you're interested in any of the books, articles or websites mentioned in the show, you can find links to them in the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.com. You can follow us on Facebook or subscribe to our emailing list to get reminders and updates about the show. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have ideas for topics, know someone amazing we should talk to, have a recycling tip, a green product review, or have a song recommendation. Again, email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. This program was produced in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG, and Main FM. It should be noted that the statements and opinions of myself and the people I interview are not the official positions held by either Main FM or MASC. We welcome feedback and responses to the ideas expressed on the show. If you would like to respond to something discussed on the program, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>